I'm in the process of setting up an overview for two chapters. Uh, and the reason is, is that we are in desperate need uh, individually and collectively to have a foundation to work off of. I have heard uh, a lot of men um, badger people about giving. Uh, I do not believe that is necessary. I have watched people struggle with the quote-unquote tithe. I do not believe that that is necessary. And uh, I do believe that if you want to know what's going on, then you need to hear all of these messages which means that you need to be faithful for a few years. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because I've got uh, probably uh, five more weeks to just get through the introduction. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Help us, Father. You who uh, poured on out poured out on us exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. And Father, you only gave your best. Now we who are called by your name, may we do the same. May we stand in the grace that is in Christ. May we take comfort in what you have shown us. Father, may we understand it ain't about us. It's about you your kingdom, your righteousness, as you add all things unto us. In Christ's name, amen. I shared with you last week as I was stepping into this, uh, for one thing, I do not like teaching on giving. Sorry. Um, But I have two chapters in front of me, chapters 8 and 9 of, Second uh, Corinthians, um, that's what it's about. He has just come out of a transition of a group that has returned back to the relationship with the Apostle Paul. He had sent them a severe letter. It broke their heart and they wanted to do more. And he started it out there in chapter uh, 8 that he wanted them to know about the churches in Macedonia. The churches north of where Corinth was. Corinth is in Achaia which is the southern part of Greece. Macedonia is in the northern part. And he says, In a great order, ordeal of affliction and abundance of their joy and a deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urging for the favor to part, uh, of participation and the support of the saints. I can honestly say that I have not run into a lot of people who are begging to give. But the Macedonian churches have and did. And I know that many in the body of Christ right now feel very guilty um, on either what they are giving or not giving or can or cannot give. Um, and I also know that if people find out if you were had a little sign out here say what you were teaching on. And you put that little sign out on the street that you were teaching on giving. 
they would flock to your doors to hear what you had to say. Because I feel guilty about what I give, so I want to go hear somebody make me feel worse. Okay? Um, but I, I got to ask you a simple question. What does the Scripture say? Chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 says, If I sow sparingly, what happens? I reap sparingly. If I sow bountifully, what happens? And it's a real simple principle. He uses agricultural, and I use the illustration. If I take one tomato seed and I stick it in the ground, how many tomatoes do I get? A whole plant. But it also produces what? Way more seeds. All right, and Paul uses that illustration to talk about how we should give. All right, and and I, I'll admit, and, and and I shared this last week. We have two foes that sit out there that make it difficult for us to give. One is the world. The world is trying its best to get every nickel it can of yours. All right. We have a whole industry that that's their job is to separate you from your money. It's advertising. Okay. Advertising wants to separate you from your money. And then you get into the church and the church doesn't know what to do. And, and it, it's not a new phenomenon. Jane tells us, James tells us, don't play to the wealthy. Okay. The one with the gold ring. Here, give them the blessed place to seat. So it was obvious it was going on. The poor, hey, sit under my footstool. James tells us God gets to use a paraphrase cranky about that. Because God is no respecter of persons. Okay. God is not partial to the rich. And I'll show you why. And yet I have watched in numerous congregations that it is the wealthy members that dictate the theology of the church. Okay? I know a guy right now who has to be careful what he teaches on because if he doesn't get a minimum of $5,000 a week, he doesn't even pay the interest on his note. It costs him 5000 a week to pay the interest on the note of the church. I've also seen the rich want to dictate policy. I've had people come through this congregation in the past who told me they would give to such and such if I. Nope. I don't do if I. Sorry. People try. People try. And I have, I've run into people over and over who um, believe that if they take their financial aid out of the church, we can cause the pastor to have to leave. And you know what? There is a tragedy in the church right now that, uh, and, and I, the only way I can call it is church grandeur. Um, and I have seen churches borrow millions millions here in Castle Rock. Okay? Borrow 
millions of dollars. And all they do is bury the church in debt. And you know what? When you find a church that says, listen, I am not against borrowing money. And I'll show you why. But when you bury a church in millions of dollars of debt, do you understand that you have just crippled the church's ability to minister? When it comes to dealing with money, it is a problem in our culture and it is a problem in our church. It's like the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was in an awful place, an awful society. And they were there to affect the society for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happens is you get people coming into the church and they bring the society in with them. And then the war is on. And then you will find that in some cases, it is the society that affects the church. And that's a lot of what you see today. Now, I've got one more I want to bring up. I had thought about sharing this, but I thought, well, maybe not. And then uh, through much prayer, uh, I have decided. Here's another one that keeps us, that handcuffs us in our giving. Uh, Here we go. You know what I call it? Retirement. I've been in the church long enough to watch this. We have a mindset, and every one of us, that we need to have an excruciating, this massive, large stash of money so I can do nothing as long as possible. Who will take care of me? Let me share with you something about retirement. Whose philosophy is that? I grew up with it. I know where it came from. That is the world's mentality, people. People think I'm kidding when I make a statement that said I came in with nothing and my goal is what? I am not worried about me taking care of myself in my old age. You meet 50 and God forgets where you're at? And yet, how many people have I watched who have been in the church faithfully, they hit retirement, and then they vanish? The truth of the matter is, you should be able to give more and do more because you don't have to take the time to go earn the nickel and dime. The goal of life is to get to the place that I can do nothing. Really? Or I only have to do what I want to do. Really? When you have been freed from gainful employment, then you have time. You have talents. You have knowledge. And yet, what do we do? I want to go do nothing. 
Why would I not give it to the kingdom? Why would I not work harder for the kingdom and retirement than I ever did when I worked in the world? Doing what you want when you want all of the time, really? And the product for eternity in that is what? I have a friend of mine right now. She's a widow. Okay? Uh, Her husband... Uh, used to uh, manufacture stainless steel. Okay, and, and he made all kind of... If it's got stainless steel in it, he did it, whether it's cooked countertops, whatever. He died a few years ago of cancer, very aggressive cancer. It took him in about seven to eight months from diagnosis to death. Okay, she just turned 75. Very well off. Extraordinarily well off. Has house up on the hill. It's got about 270 acres, a big hay field down below. She runs a few cows on it that people can rent. She's got it made. And she's got wheelbarrows full of money because her husband was extraordinarily successful. And he was good at what he did. 75 years old. You know where she is right now? El Salvador cooking meals for an orphanage. Fascinating. You know what's really scary about it? She's buying the food. There ain't nobody paid her trip down there. There ain't nobody paid for the food. She's just doing it, cooking the food for the orphanage. Her church is building a building that will be a church and an orphanage and a school. And they're doing that and she's just cooking. 75 years old. And you know what I've learned is, instead of investing in what God's kingdom doing, people are trying to stockpile their money. People tell them, and then people will, you will hire people that will tell you to stockpile your money. And so more people get rich on the fact that you're stockpiling your money. And it's going to eternity how? People make money on you storing up your money. Let me ask you a question. Are you stockpiling or are you investing in eternity or temporal? And so if I look at this, these three entities, that's a massive effect on our giving. I shared with you last week. A guy had come up that if you took every Christian in the United States and took their total income and put it right at poverty, the poverty line, but they had to give a tenth. Do you understand that there would be a 300% increase in the giving of the church in the United States? We need to understand how we are to give. We need to understand what we are to give. We need to understand where we are to give and how much are we going to give. And it's answered in 8 and 9 and a few other places. Okay, because, you know, I, I know people right now 
who say, okay, this is what my tax burden is going to be, so I will offset it with charitable donations. Is that the right motive? No. Listen, I want you to understand something. Just as I look at the Apostle Paul here, begging us for and urging for a favor and participation of the support of the saints... And this is not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. We do this, we give to see the blessing. We see the blessing. And you know what I've learned in in just my time spending, you know, kind of collecting all of this together. God has a lot to say about your money. Okay, I I was really kind of surprised. Jesus taught more on money than he did any single topic. That's pretty impressive. So if you look at your outline, you see I broke this down, a biblical view of money, and I have it in the morality of money, the love of money, acquiring money, and the use of money. And today I want to step into the morality of money. Now, listen, I, I know talking to some of you, I'm going to cross your toes today. Um, but as the great philosopher once said, you'll get over it. <laughs> I don't know who that philosopher was, but you will. <laughs> I want to talk about the morality of money. And there's a, 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 a mindset out there that is... Uh, kind of pushed in the church at times that is completely wrong. Okay? Money in and of itself is not good and it is not bad. Did you know that? Okay? Did you know that money is not righteous nor evil? But one of the things I have noticed both biblically, historically, and in my own life, money is a measure of our morality, our morals. You know, we've all heard it, money talks. I agree with that. It's central to everyday living. And if you want to hear what money has to say, It shouts about you and me. You don't believe me? Go through your checkbook register for the last quarter and it will show you what your priorities are. Oh, you don't understand. I use a debit card. I don't even use it. I use, you know, I live on plastic. Go through your credit card statement. It will say the same. It will show you what is important to you. You will see where your money goes. And where your money goes is where your heart is. Okay? Where we put our money shows our morality. Money has no morality. But money does measure 
our morality. Money does show our priorities. What is important to us? Just take it. Take it for 30 days. See what you spent your money on. Now, I have heard this over and over and over for decades that, and you've probably heard it, that money corrupts. Okay? Well, there are corrupt people and money shows they are corrupt. Okay? There are others who are not corrupt and their money is the way they manifest righteousness. Okay? There are corrupt people who don't have no money. There are godly people who do not have no money. Money does not corrupt. But it does show visibly the corruption of the heart. And I don't care whether you're saved or not. What you do with your money speaks way louder than you want it to. Okay? I remember back when counseling was the thing. And people would come to me in their ignorance thinking I was a counselor. And they would say, I'm having marital problems. We need to talk to you. Well, all right. <laughs> And they said, well, what can we bring? And I said, your checkbook. What? Yeah. You charge for your counseling? Nope. But I can go through your checkbook and tell you what's wrong with your marriage. I don't have a real thriving counseling business. <laughs> it's still the cheapest guy in town, <laughs> but... <laughs> You can take a corrupt person and you give them a lot of money and that person will spread that corruption greatly. Money is not the problem. The heart is the problem. Money is in a phenomenal measure of the condition of the heart. If money is a great problem, then do yourself a favor. Get rid of it. Why don't I see anybody lining up in that train? I've heard it, and everybody seems to think it, that the first and foremost, we think it's the pastor's responsibility first. But then some Christians will say, but you need a vow of poverty. It is wrong for a Christian to have more money than is needed for them to bear necessities. Or perhaps you believe we should put it all into a common pot. And I always call that Christian communism. Great ideas, people. The problem is it's not in Scripture. Well, what about Acts 2? What about Acts 2? They all came together in unity. No. They were unified in the apostles' teaching. When needs came up, those who had gave to the needs. It was a communal 
thing. Everybody seems to think we came together and everybody just sold everything and put it into one big kitty. That is not what Acts 2 teaches. Some had money. Some had land. Guess what? Some didn't. And at the time, if you came to the person of Jesus Christ and you believed in him as Messiah, you lost your job. You lost your family. You lost everything you had. So, I mean, I listen to people say, well, you know, he preached a sermon and 5,000 people got saved. Open your pockets. Because you got 5,000 people who all of a sudden are unemployed. And they're coming to you because they trust in Christ. That's a rush. They never pooled. There was always someone who had some, and there was always some who didn't have, and there was always some who were in between. Just like the body of Christ today. Listen, the Bible does not forbid having money. It never, ever, ever has. Okay? And I will prove it. The book of Haggai. Haggai was written about 16 years or so after the Babylonian captivity. 50,000 Jews had cruised back into Jerusalem. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 4, you kind of see what is going on here. Take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua. Is that where I want to be? Yeah. And and what he's what what they're struggling with here um, is they've come back into Israel. If you jump up to the first chapter, you kind of see what's going. You have sown much, you have harvested little, you eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink and there is not enough to become drunk. You're putting on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into the purse with holes in it. Okay, right out of the Babylonian captivity. You're, you're not looking at a generation that is missing. Okay, these people understood what it was to be slaves. Thus says says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring the wood, rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. What had happened was they had gotten out of Babylonian captivity to do what? To build the temple back. It was torn down by Nebuchadnezzar. Build the temple back. 50,000 of us. God opened a way that we've been freed. This is amazing. Look at what God has done. And then shortly thereafter, they became what? Well, I can't build a temple if I ain't got a job. If I ain't got a job, I got to work, got to work, got to make more money. And I got, and he says, you know what? Your purses have what? Holes in it. You ain't keeping the money. He says, you better consider your ways. Okay. But I want you to look at something in chapter 3, verse 8. 2-8, sorry. 
Whose silver is it? Whose gold is it? The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay. Where did gold and silver come from? Where did the paper that we make money come from? Every valuable metal, where did it come from? Everything that is in the world, everything that is of the world, where did it come from? How much are you going to give him? Oh, wait, it's all his. God is speaking of the nations of the world. Where do you get silver? Where do you get gold? Where do you get palladium? Where do you get platinum? Where do you get copper? Where do you get nickel? Where do you get iron? Where do you get steel? It's all his. Where do I get the paper to make money? Oh, it's all his. Go over to Deuteronomy. Chapter 8, verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. That He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. You make a buck, house come. If you've got a job, where'd you get it? If you have the a talent or a, an ability that no one else has, where'd you get that at? God gives the ability to make wealth. God gave gold and silver and every precious stone and every precious metal. The power to make wealth of all of the earth and God has brought it all into existence. Also knows it provides for tremendous treasure for man to use. He will give power to people to make wealth. So God has created the wealth in his creation. And he is the one, by the way, who made us and has given us the ability to gain that wealth. made some of us able to do it mentally. Some of us are able to do it physically. Some of us do it through relationships. All different levels. So we can obtain wealth. But he stakes a statement to bring him glory. Did you understand that he creates the circumstances in life? You were born into a certain family. Who did that? I don't care whether your family was in poverty. I don't care whether your family was wealthy. All of it is in the plans and the purposes of God. Where and who you were born, in what environment you were born in, was all in. What if you were born in India? If you were born in India, you could be a Brahmin. Brahmin are wealthy, extraordinarily wealthy. All the businesses are run through the Brahmins. Or what if you were a Dalit? Dalit are the untouchables. And they believe it's karma. 
God says it's me. God controls and God is in charge of it. You could have been born in India. You could have been born to the Dali. Jesus himself said this. The poor you will have always with you. Because he wants to see what you do with the wealth that you create. You going to help him? I was reading uh, Barnes. He writes commentaries called Barnes Notes. And he was writing in Romans. And he was talking about those who withhold the gospel. Those who withhold the gospel from those who do not know the gospel. And he referenced this because he wrote in the 1858-59. Everybody know what was going on around then? We were getting ready to have a civil war. (laughs) And his comment was not that he was against slavery, but the condemnation for the slave owner who knew the gospel and didn't share it with his slave. He said, it will be by your ruin. God will be glorified if you do not share with your slaves the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the resources on this earth. We have the ability to put them to use. And if you're truly honest with yourself, it's amazing. Have you ever thought about cars? Not really. Not really. Well, every morning, if you watch, they'll tell you what a barrel of oil costs. Why? Because of your car. But have you ever looked at oil? I have a a little motorcycle business, and I drain all this oil, and it is a pain in the butt after you drain it. Now what do I do with it? Old, dirty motor oil. And yet we have to have it. I don't care how much you can say you want wind and solar and whatever else you want. I got news for you. Oil is used for a lot more than just pouring it into the gas tank. Okay? And I tell you another thing about oil. It is a pain in the butt to deal with. You, I don't care how good you are. You are about to get oily. I don't care. You may think you're the best mechanic in the world. Go look under their fingernails. You've been in oil. Okay? And yet God knew we needed oil because we were to come up with a car. And so he puts it in places. It's amazing. And yet, I, if you woke up today and there's no automobiles and no industry... And all of a sudden you hit oil, you're going to be truly disappointed. What are you going to do with it? I can tell you what you're going to do with it. You're going to get greasy. But yet God knew that we were going to need it. It is amazing what God does with his creation and the humans that use that creation. Think about it. There are people who make music and get paid. You ever thought about it? Listen, not all of them are any good. They still get paid. Have you ever heard Bob Dylan's voice? We can all laugh, but how much have you made in music? You can laugh all day long. I get people say, well, I can't believe. You know what? Somebody's paying for it. And he's made way more money than I ever have. 
Right? And I, I won't even get into rap and all that other stuff that's out there. And you just sit there and go, really? But they're paying for it. There are people who paint. I'm an impressionist. I love impression paintings. Okay, Monet, that kind of stuff. Have you ever looked at Picasso? He gets paid for that. You know, I'll go Michelangelo and the 16th Chapel. I mean, hey, you can tell what that is. I've looked, I, Picasso, do you know that never on the existence of the planet has somebody's two eyes been on one side of their nose? Ever. But he got paid. Van Gogh cuts his ear off, take, paints a self-portrait of a band-aid around with a missing ear, and he gets millions. You cut your own ear off, dude. Miners digging in the ground. Think about it. We dig for nickel. We dig for coal. We dig for gold. We dig for silver. We dig, we dig for rocks. We have a rhyolite mine in Castle Rock. You know what rhyolite is? It's a rock. And so we dig it up. Were we short of rocks? We have miners. We have drillers that drill for oil and gas. We have science and scientists who get paid. And you know what? They're all for God's purpose. God takes what is his and he gives it to mankind according to the ability. And we who know theology call it providence. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is I listen to people say, well, in the New Testament church, should we tithe? Well, I'm sorry, but it's all his. I always like it when people tell me about the tithes because I always go this route. What are you doing with the first fruit? The what? The best off the top. What are you doing with that one? Oh, never thought about that. I'm not a farmer. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Let me ask you a question. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who regards you as superior? Okay, now, now think about what Paul's saying here. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? You act like you accomplished something. Really? If you have a job you don't understand, I worked 60 hours this week. Who let you? Who gave you the job? Who created it that you could have wages? Why would you act like you accomplished that? Do you see what I'm trying to get at the morality of our money? It's all God's. God gives it to whoever he wants. It's, I, we just had a, what, a 60, 600 million whatever dollar lottery. And they were selling in Colorado 58,000 tickets a minute. 
<laughs> just give me one minute. <laughs> just, just give me a minute. It's $2 a ticket, 58000 I'd be satisfied. And I kept thinking, what nightmare happens if you win? Dude, you'll have relatives you didn't even know were related to you. And yet he gives it as he purposes it. You know what? There ain't a person in this room who hasn't coveted someone else's stuff. I don't care who you are. You can act as pious as you want, but you've seen somebody got something that you want. I want that. I remember growing up, we had tile floors. Everybody wanted carpet. Now everybody's got carpeted floors and we want tile. Well, make up your mind. I grew up with tile floors. You know what? Cold. I'll stick with the carpet. I know it's not fashionable. But we all do it. Look, that person has this. That person has that. Why do you do that? Do you ever realize that maybe God has given you exactly what he wants you to have because you can't handle more, nor can you handle less? There is no collective socialism in the church. It is his purpose. Let me ask you a question. If you think it's all supposed to be in one pot and we're all supposed to be equal, let me ask you a question. Are we all the same in this room? No, we're all individuals. I mean, even the twins are different. God never intended it to be the same. Everyone is not intended to be the same, nor are we to have the same as individuals. God's providence is spread across humanity, and as God's providence is spread to the individual. As we need. I have been in Russia, which was classified as a world power. And if you get out of St. Petersburg, get out of Orel, or get out of Moscow, you step back 150 years in time. I mean, it, you just sit there and go, what happened? What happened? God gave the ability to get wealth, and the wealth is all his. We get to be stewards of his wealth. And that shows and tests the individual's morality. What we do with our money, the wealth that is God's, that God gave us the ability to get, is determined. And we see the morality of the individual. Everything is given to us from God and it shows our moral life. Did you realize that your money, what you do with your finances is the greatest critic of your spiritual growth and or lack of? You can know all the Bible verses in the Bible, front and back, jot and tittle. You can be at the church every day that doors are open. You can serve in the church. You can be in VBS. You can do whatever you think is necessary to be there all the time. But your money and the way you handle it speaks louder. Sadly, God's gift to men and is intended for man's good. He wants us to use his resources for good, for noble, for beneficial. And I'm not talking about just giving to missionaries. 
There's all types of needs that are in the body of Christ. And he wants the joys of this life to be given to the body of Christ. To be used. It's his creation. He gave it for us to enjoy it. Remember when he met it, he said, this is good. It's his glory. But men, they take it and they pervert it to evil. Generally, the vast majority of money is used for evil. Please hear me. You think you can defend it otherwise, you're crazy. The vast majority of wealth is used for evil, for sin. You look at unbelievers and ask yourself, do they waste God's resources? Now, listen, I expect that from the lost. Okay. But what about the church? Church knows better, right? Just a cursory glance that I showed you that where does wealth come from? It's God's. Where is the resources? It's God's. He brings them all together and he lets us be stewards over. It's all God's. And yet the world will take the benefit of nature that God created and the world will turn them into weapons. We'll turn it. Oh, well, yeah, but that's your warmonger. No, okay. What do we do with food? We don't have a gluttony problem, do we? And then the gluttony problem comes into a culture of dieting. And then I can make millions by having a place to exercise. Man perverts what God has given. We take beauty and create pornography. And you know what? It's in the church. I know pastors right now that tell me, I do not know the passwords to my computer. I'm like, how do you use it? They say, well, no, I have someone in the office. They have the password. They come in and they set me up and I'm off and running. Why? Well, I don't want to get into pornography. Well, don't you have to go find it? I mean, I, you don't turn, I turn my computer on. I all of a sudden, boof, look, naked women. My computer don't do that. Now, I'm not tech savvy, but hey. I, if you're, if you're already corrupt, then you're going to do that. I don't care who's got your password. Mine don't do that. I don't have a perverted computer. Man's nature managed to twist what God did for good and he twists it and perverts it. And you can go down the list, brothers and sisters. Give me a break. First Timothy, we'll be spending some time over there in the next few months. First Timothy six seventeen. Instruct those who are rich. Timothy's at the church in Ephesus. There evidently were some wealthy people in the church in Ephesus. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 
Very practical. You know what? He's not saying it's wrong to have a home. It's not wrong to have furniture in your home. It's not wrong to go on vacation. None of that is wrong. God made it. It was good when he made it. He wants us to enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with having clothes. All right? There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I think I'm going to go up and check out the mountains. The mountains are beautiful. Go look at the ocean. The ocean is beautiful. It's amazing. The changing leaves in the fall, the snow, the rains, it's all beautiful. And you know what? God created it so we would enjoy it. The thing is, is do you thank him? Do we keep what we're doing? Do we keep God in the center of it? I remember uh, I was at a teaching actually at a Bible conference down in Albuquerque. And they took the pastors out to this golf course. (laughs) There ain't nothing more fun than watching a bunch of pastors play golf. (laughs) Trust me. And uh, so they take us out to this golf course and we're driving south to Albuquerque and you just get south and south. It gets more desert, more desert, more desert. And you're sitting there going, dude, where are we going to play golf at? In the sand? And all of a sudden we come up over this hill and here's this golf course. And it's odd to see all these little green stripes around. And I'm, I'm talking desert. And so you get ready to tee off. All right. And, and so I'm getting ready to tee off and the guy comes up to me who's the, he, he had a, he had a membership to this place. And he says, I need to tell you, uh, uh, couple of things first and i was like well okay what's that he says if you hit the ball in the rough do not go after the ball <laughs> dude i ain't got enough balls <laughs> this you know how, how am i going to do that he says full of rattlesnakes i was like well what i have a club <laughs> and i was like well i'll make a note of that and i was like and i'm sitting there going gee many crickets you know i mean what is the rough i mean we talking the little high grass on the edge. Are we talking out there where you guys got yuccas? And he says, you know, out in the rough, rough. I was like, all right, fine. So I'm, I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, now I'm a little nervous. I'm like, well, I don't need my driver then, because <laughs> me and my driver have this thing that's I shot a ball into the air. Boy, I hope it gets close to wherever it was I was aiming. So I, I go, I go, I'll stay with my short woods and and irons. I should be fine. So I take first tee. Okay, I'm taking a three iron off the tee. Pow! Just perfect shot straight down the middle of the fairway. It looks like it looks like a little dog leg. Boom! And then I hit. I was like, "That's the prettiest shot I've ever made in my life." So I start walking down to it. A road runner. You know what a road runner is? <laughs> Comes running out of the rough where all the rattlesnakes are. Looks down, snaps up that ball, and takes off. And so you have to stop and you think, the best shot I've ever hit, the ball is stolen by a bird that don't fly. (laughs) Let's enjoy God's creation. Where's the golf cart? I'm driving. (laughs) Okay? There's nothing wrong with that, people. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Enjoy it. (laughs) Take a lot of balls, though. Let me ask you a question. The most righteous man in the East, who was that? 
Job. Did you ever look at his asset chart? So you see, money don't corrupt. He had great wealth and God classified him as the most righteous man in the East. What do you do with Abraham? What do you do with Isaac? What do you do with Jacob? What do you do with David? What do you do with Solomon? They all had massive amounts of wealth. Chapter 2, verse 7 of the book of Isaiah. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses and chariots. Where did it come from? God did it. God's nature is he's extraordinarily generous. He is a giving God. And he wants us to use what he's given. He wants us to enjoy it. But the problem is that becomes our focus, not God. As long as he gets the glory, is that can you handle that? And if you've got money today, do you give him the glory that you got money today? If you don't have money today, you give him the glory that he still takes care of you. Listen, it's, it's, it's easy for us to be selfish. It's easy for us to be idolatrous. It's easy for us to be self-indulgent. So simple. Our, let me, if you think about what I've just given you. Okay, I'm going to ask you. It's a personal question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Okay. I just want to ask you the question. If he created the wealth and he created your ability to possess it and you are a steward of it, are you embezzling from him? You know what embezzling means, right? Am I taking from the benefits of the company? And now listen, what I'm trying to use that is because I watch these people who are buying lotto tickets thinking that, I don't know if it's their retirement or something. And, and you hear this said, if I only had a nickel for every time I heard this said, if I had more, I would give more. Can I be frank with you? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because I'll ask you a question. What are you doing with what God's already given you? Because that shows the morality of your heart. One of my favorite books in the Bible. I wonder how far after Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes was written. <laughs> I mean, you got 900 wives. At what point do you say, vanity, vanity, all is vanity? <laughs> Just an idea. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its incomes. This too is... Vanity, 
When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? You know what? You'll never have enough. That's what Solomon was saying. Money, when you have it, guess what it does? Slips through your fingers. Slips through your fingers. One of the things I've learned in my life, every time I get a little bit ahead, I know something big is getting ready to break. And I'm not saying that to be pessimistic. I'm just saying, you know what? God provides. And if I say, oh, look, I got about a thousand dollars, that means I got a 900 transmission job coming up. But I'll be able to take the hundred and go out and get me some buffalo wings. Listen, the more you get, the more it goes. You will not give more if you have more. Ain't happening. If you ain't given to the beyond what you should right now, you never will. Jesus himself said, he who is faithful in very little things is faithful in very much. He who is unrighteous in very little things is unrighteous in very much. If you're not faithful with a little, you will never be faithful with much. And perhaps that's the reason you never have much is because you're not faithful. It's not a question of more. It is what are you doing with what you have? Listen, I understand, and I shared this in last week's message, here's the world, and they bombard me daily on trying to separate me from my money. Okay? I understand that. It is ongoing. It's unrelenting. All right? Okay. I understand that. Not only that, they'll they'll give it to you on a discount, and they'll let you buy it on credit. They have no problem. Here, sure. Not only that, we got little cards now that says, you spend a dollar, we'll give you a point. And it might give you a free airplane ticket or whatever it is. You can cash in these points and get you a, a really expensive camera that you can buy cheap. Okay? And they keep making you think that you're going to get a deal on this. You ain't. You ain't. And you know what? I can sit and tell every one of this. And I understand that you think about this for a second. How easy is it for you to get in debt? And how hard is it to get out of that debt? Right? There may be some who have massive debt in this room. And you know what? You will have to get out of it over a long haul. And you know what? You will not be effective as in ministry. You're going to be sitting over there. Work on getting out of the debt. But I want you to think about this right now. Do you understand that if you've stepped into that arena, that it's a spiritual problem? It's a spiritual problem. I I think about all the people who come up and says, I need you to pray. I'm trying to buy a car and I need to get the loan through. Or I'm trying to buy a house. I'm trying to get the loan through and all the rest of it. You know what? I love you. I'll never pray for that. Okay? If you if you got a good credit record, you can get a loan. Well, things have changed. No, I'm just telling you. If you got a good credit record, you can get a loan. Okay? 
But I will tell you this, be real careful that you're not allowing that money to show the evidence of a corrupt heart. Our wealth shows where we are in our spiritual life. Okay, now listen. I'm here to make you mad. I'm trying to show you how to step into blessing. And God does not bless through credit cards. Okay, you can use them. You know what? If your heart's pure, a credit card is a very valuable tool. If your heart's pure. But if you start rolling debt on a credit card, you know what you're telling me? God ain't working fast enough. I help him out. And then I go buy a lotto ticket when there's 600 million. And he'll give me the winning numbers. And then I'll give more. Nothing. And I'll show you, if you think that you can do that, next week I'll show you the wisest man in the world. And I'll show you what he did. And if you think you're smart, are you that smart that you could be classified as the wisest man on the planet? Because I can show you what he did. And he did it all for money. He wanted more. But morality is shown in your handling and my handling of money. Money shows our spiritual life or lack of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for wealth. Thank you for providing the resources for wealth. Father, thank you for giving each of us individually a talent and ability for wealth. Father, please never let it master us. May we, in simplicity of life, know that we are to seek you, your kingdom, and your righteousness. And be grateful as all things are added unto us. To your praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen.